And you're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You heard right off the top there, Timmy Thomas from 1967 with Have Some Boogaloo. And today, an interview with Timmy Thomas. Coming up, we're going to have some Timmy Thomas with Dizzy, Dizzy World. Then we're going to follow that up with his good friend Clarence Reed, a.k.a. Blowfly. But we're going to hear a Clarence Reed track from 1973, Till I Get My Share. Then we are going to hear Blowfly, Libra, from 1977, where Timmy played the organ. You're thinking, Timmy Thomas, the organ. Why can't I live together? The song Drake sampled for Hotline Bling. Yes, Timmy did the original. So we're going to get all into that. So right now, we're going to hear Timmy Thomas from 1972 with Dizzy Dizzy World. We're going to follow it up with Till I Get My Share by Clarence Reed from 1973, Miami. Then we're going to follow it up with Blowfly Libra from 1975 with Timmy on organ. Now, Timmy doesn't remember doing the organ because Blowfly Clarence did the vocals at night. But yes, that is Timmy on organ on Blowfly's Libra as part of Blowfly's Zodiac. Timmy plays on the whole damn thing. So right now, here is Timmy Thomas from 1972 with Dizzy, Dizzy World, then Clarence Reed, then Blowfly featuring Timmy Thomas, and then the interview with Timmy Thomas on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. It's a dizzy, dizzy world All that we live in Everybody's trying to get ahead Always status climbing But what about the little boy and girl who never have that chance to be somebody in this world. It's a dizzy, dizzy world that we live in. It's a dizzy, dizzy world That we live in. People hurting one another, even the next of kin. We complain of having no shoes until we see the man who has no feet. Dizzy, dizzy world 
It's a dizzy, dizzy world All that we live in Everybody's hating one another People always being afraid We meet each other On the street And we hate And we hate, and it's so very deep. You know, it's a dizzy, dizzy world that we live in. It's a dizzy, dizzy world.
something like this. Baby, since me and your big ass been together, oh, I know you've been sucking other fellas. And this I know, you bet your life I do. What I want you to But you want me to spend All of my time Sucking you, you, you That's why I say Bitch, let's Hold us up together Sucking each other forever Forever Well, the time Anything. Love to fart in a crowd of people like churches, schools, and movie theaters. Libra like the smell toilet seats. <laughs> Are you? I'm Timmy Thomas, uh, the person that had written to years ago in 1973. Maybe some of our young people were not born then, but they remember the message of what I had about why can't we all live together in this world? And what has happened, and I'm so honored that Drake from Hotline Blink has brought Timmy Thomas back because all the kids love that music. They said, who wrote that music? Everybody's saying, that's Timmy Thomas when he said, now I've had the opportunity to come back, say some more good things, put our children on the right direction, and keep on stepping. And there we have Timmy Thomas. Welcome to Austin, Texas, South by Southwest. This is the first time I've been here, and I'm really enjoying myself. I mean, everybody is so nice. I'm getting that real Texas spirits, you know, and uh, uh, it's big. In fact, it's bigger than I thought it was. Um, They told me about it. Then they told me that the president was coming to keynote speak, open up. I said, my God, this has to be big, you know? I get here and see all of this. I said, wow. So the only thing that I haven't had yet is some of that Texas barbecue, and I'm going to get that for a lead. (laughs) And what we have is what began it all recently, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, right here, the can't we live together? Why can't we live together? What can you say about why can't we live together? Because this particular record was sampled by Drake. Do you mention? Yes. Well, you know, I, I, for hotline, for hotline playing. Yeah, he didn't use the message or what what I had on this, but he used the music, and that made it very interesting because everybody was into the music. Said, man, we love that. He, Drake could have used anybody's beats. He went all the way back to 1973, my time of, of my music life, and 
went over the Dre beats, the Snoop beats, all those, and from 2000 up to 2015, because he said your feel and the way you felt about even we didn't use the message, but the music was something about, and they used it, and I was very proud of that. How did you find? How did you find out from a relative? Yes, how'd you know that? This it's the truth. The truth. I had uh, a brother call me. Said Timmy, my son, not him, because he's about my age. He said, my son said he heard your record on the radio. I said, no record. I don't have a record. He said, well, it's Drake. I said, Drake who? But now remember now, this is the hip hop rapping uh, era now, and. I had no idea about any of them. I had no idea about the names. I don't listen to it, which I started listening to it because I found out I can communicate a lot more with my granddaughters and stuff, knowing what's happening in the world. Um, then I get another call. Timmy, Drake is using your... I knew who Drake was then after I went on the computer. And, uh, so I heard it. I said, let me listen to this. No, it was the whole track of my original they didn't cover it they didn't take some lot of other musicians and, and play it and 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 cover the song he used the original timmy thomas i said you're kidding he said granddaddy get ready so i was in the gym the next day you know, <laughs> getting myself together so i know i would have to go out here after that you know and then i met uh, tom and uh, some other people uh yan and all of them that uh were least making me feel real good to give me a shot to go out and say something because we need this song more now than I did it in 1973. What is the, gen- what is the genesis of Why Can't We Live Together? Timmy's Lounge, improvised? Yeah, no, let me, just, let me tell you, it's, it's very short. Um, a gentleman named Walter Cronkite used to be on CBS News. He's passed away. And I was writing something I was teaching then. I was writing something, and he came on and said, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. These are his exact exact words. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. 35,000 Viet Cong died today, 15,000 Americans. This was during the Vietnam War. I said, What? These are mother's children dying on the battlefield for something that we can't come to the table and sit at the welcome table and talk about and make this thing some kind of way where we don't have to hurt each other, those mothers will never see their children again. Then I said, why can't we live together? Thing. Light bulb went off in my head. I got my pencil. Why can't we live together? I looked at Walter Cronkite and said, no more wars, because I thought about what he had just said. We want peace in this world. And the most important, when I saw the difference of race, color, and creed, no matter what color, you're still my brother. And that's the way, it, and when they were playing uh, a local artist then, and when one of my friends played it, phones lit up, everything. They said, Timmy, you got a hit here, man. I had one little cassette in the back of my trunk of my car. You know, he said, what, it was, whose floor is it on? Is somebody going to sell this vinyl? I said, no, I don't have it. He said, what you got? I said, just got this little cassette. He said, oh, God, man, you're going to miss out on everything. Everybody wants to grab this thing. So that's when I went to Henry Stone and with TK, with Casey and the Sunshine Band is and Clarence and all of them. So, and history from there. What about Timmy's Lounge? You were the first black person on Miami Beach? Yes. Uh, now, I want, I want to make it clear that I didn't own it. it I, 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 what you call it in the music industry, I fronted it because... Uh, when I came together, was so big, and everybody was coming to see me. I was approached by a couple of guys, and man, we're going to open up a lounge on the beach, and we would love to have you 
You would be owned as one of the managers, but we would love to front your name on as Timmy's Lounge. And my God, they did cool gobs. But that was pretty early in the, in the situation of all races coming together. It just wasn't, in some instances, you can say, well, some places were just not ready for it at that time. It's all right now, you know, but uh, that was very early in this, in this race for mankind uh, to do the right thing. And I stayed there for about a year, and after that, uh, it was over with. But it, it did happen. Timmy's Lounge and the Lucerne Hotel, 46th Street and Collins Avenue. I'll never forget it. I took a picture with my wife. I stood on, my name was on the thing. I stood on a chair or something so they could see my name, Timmy's Lounge, you know. And I got all people they had the Miss Black America contest there. They had a lot of people to come in and talk and, and have seminars and things. I was proud of that, you know. And it didn't last long, but I still, it didn't stop me. I just kept on kicking, man. Kept on, and still in front of these kids, trying to let them know that uh, the right way is to have concern about your brother and your sister. How does Drake's lyrics differ from your lyrics? Well... I had to, well, uh, my dog Randolph said, Dad, you need a dictionary to understand some of this rap, you know what I'm saying, Just the, the, uh, what it means. Uh, he was talking on the phone probably to his girlfriend or something. I kept listening to see what he's saying, and he was saying, call me on my cell phone. So I said, what's he mean by that? Let me know where you are and things like that. I said, oh, that's, that was his story. But what I think happened was even though he did not not use my message, he used enough of my track to, for people to remember. Even the older people bought it. They said, Timmy, this is definitely you, man, and, and it's just another message on it. About it. And, it and he made it one-on-one with a lady and a man. And I didn't, that was fine, because that's what's happening now. I would never change. And also, I wouldn't be able to sell why I can't move together the way I did it in 73 with the same message. They've heard that. They say, okay, yeah, we heard that. You know, it's, that's 40-some years old, you know. But they used the music trick and then put his message in there with the young know, kids. Woo, we love this. What is this? He says, that's Timmy Thomas. That's, you weren't even born when he did that song. <laughs> that was 1973, 72, really, 72, 73. So that's what happened. And, and I wasn't, a, I wasn't hurt over his message. His message is in the realm of what's happening with today's youth. And... Uh, I listened to it very closely to make sure that it wasn't as profane as I've heard some of the rap. You know, I love some of it. Some of it's good. But when it gets real, real profane like that, I, you know, I, I tend to say, and I had a tendency then, I kept listening, listening for the, the, the real four-letter words, and, and I didn't hear it. I said, wow, I love this song, you know? And it was, like I said, history after that, again, in 40, what, 44 years now. When you showed up in Chicago, people didn't believe it was you. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Um, uh, a gentleman named uh, Rodney, Rodney Jones, rest his soul, came in because they were having the big Christmas, WVON Christmas program. Ray Charles' band was back there because he was headlining it. I was, I was on it. Uh, if loving you is wrong, I can't think of his name. I don't want to do right. What's his name? If loving you is wrong, I don't know. He was... Luther Ingram, we had some nice, pretty big stars on that. So I'm a one-man band, by the way, so, so you'll know. And when I came together, I had a Laurie organ. On that organ, there was a rhythm. About 
12 sets of, of different rhythms, bossa nova, samba, you know, etc. And also, I could punch something in on the bottom of it. I could play those rhythms along with the automatic. My left foot, I played bass. My right hand, I played the guitar part. I punched the rhythm automatically. My right hand, I played the organ part. And he put a mic, boom mic in front of me, and I sang it all at one time. The funniest thing about being in the studio that day was when I finished, I looked up to see the, pioneer, uh, the uh, engineer, and he was, oh, oh, excuse me, are you finished? Because he didn't have anything to do. He didn't have any selections to do. He said, are you finished, Tim? I said, yes, I'm finished. I said, that's funny. So I guess I had to keep that story for later on I said, because you wouldn't know what really happened. But I did it as a one-man band. And... Uh, Went to South Africa. It took me 38 countries and 48 lower states. Like when you would show up in Chicago, for example, Mm -hmm. people didn't believe it was you because you were a one-man band. Right. Uh, And another part of that story is that uh, Rodney King, he was emceeing the show. So he came back and said, Timmy, your band here? I was joking with him. I didn't know he was going to take this seriously. He said, Timmy, your band here? I said, yeah, they're here. So he goes back. He calls another artist. He sees my name down there, but he hasn't seen anybody hooking up back there for me, you know. He said, Timmy, is your band here? He said, I stand here. He said, is your bass player here? I said, he's here. What about your guitar player? I said, he's here. Are they in the dressing room? I said, yeah, they're here. Your drummer. Where's your drummer? I said, he's here. Don't worry, Rodney. All of them will be out there with me. <laughs> Called Timmy Thomas. I walked out on stage. Rodney said, oh, my God. The whole band did not show up. All of a sudden, you hear tick, 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 then boom, 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 boom. Then I said, fine. He said, why didn't somebody tell me Timmy Thomas was a one-man band? You know, nobody told me that. When I got through, he said, I need to choke you. And I said, I'm sorry, man. I was just joking with you, but I want you to see how all that was done at one time. Freak was not the first person to sample Why Can We Live Together. Well, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, no, I don't know a lot about the sampling, but I know a lot about the covers. Like Santana covered it, Sade covered it, but that, but they used my message. MC Hammer? MC Hammer covered it. And I, I like I said, I, I, I feel bad about the situation that it's called fairness. If, if you're going to, and that's not just me, it's any other artist or any other band or any other group. If you if you sample their song, uh, do the right thing. You know, you know they struggle to make ends meet anyway. A lot of musicians, and uh, then you take their music and you use it, and and you're in the know, and you're very popular, and you make a lot of money, and you don't divvy up the little money that they should have gotten of writing the song or something like that. I know I've had a lot of uh, artists sample it. I know that, but the ones that covered it, my whole song. That came through BMI, which I'm a, I'm a writer from BMI, and that was that was Charday, as I mentioned, Santana, Steve Winwood, uh, uh, Kyle Eastwood, uh, Clint Eastwood's son, Kyle Eastwood even did it, you know. And uh, do you have a favorite version? Uh, Charday, Charday really, really put her heart in it. And then I watched when she uh, sang it at the International Jazz Festival, where they were having things in Germany or Germany, I believe. And the way she walked out on stage and she raised her hands and said, why can't we all live together? And this big boom, it was so loud, you could you had to hold your ears. And that, you know, that kind of te- teared me up a little bit. I said, wow, she knows what I'm, what I'm trying to do here, you know? And the other one was when I had the opportunity to go to South Africa in 1974. 
Now, this is not, I was the first black person to play in Soweto. I was the first American because nobody else would go because of the apartheid, which means division of races. I didn't know anything about that either. In my history books, they talked about diamonds, gold, you know? They didn't, they didn't go down and say, oh, by the way, they have division of races, apartheid, and, and this and that. So I never knew it. I'm on my way to a country that a lot of people wouldn't go because they were afraid something might happen, black or white, you know? And all of a sudden... So I'm on the plane alone, have the pilot stop on the tarmac and says, we have a Timmy Thomas in here? I said, yes. He said, we're going to stop here because you have so many people waiting on you in the airport on Jan Smuts that we're going to have to drive you from here to there. I learned how to say hello, uh, good morning and hello in uh, uh, Zulu and, and Kosa. And the people, on, even on the plane, I was his only African-American on the plane. And they said, I wonder where he's going. Where would he be going? And I was going to Soweto to do a show because they figured, why can't we live together with maybe think, make people think this is the way the world should be and let's, come on, let's all come together, you know? Uh, Dr. Mandela, Nelson Mandela was incarcerated during that time, 74. I went back in 78 and did a, another major concert, but this woman was on the fringe of Johannesburg and Soweto, the first one ever in the history of South Africa where blacks and whites could come together, and they did, and it was a super big one. And when I saw that, again, Dr. Mandela was incarcerated, still in jail. In the 90s, when he came out in the 80s, I think, something, when he came out, <clears throat> excuse me, he and, and, and uh, Prime Minister de Klerk saw the changes. And you got to remember, the only permanent thing in this world is change. I don't care what you do, the world's going to keep moving and then hope that you're going to be a part of it instead of just lag and try to pull it back. He called the record company and said, Dr. Mandela said he wants Timmy Thomas's Why Can't We Live Together to be the theme of the elections. So they called me. I said, hey, he said, get to the airport. I said, what's happening? They said, your ticket is at the counter. I said, for what? Dr. Mandela has made Why Can't We Live Together the theme, so you have to be here to do all the radio and television shows and everything. I saw the lines. No, I had never in my life seen so many lines of people all up around mountains and everything in line to vote for the first time in their lives, you know. I said, wow. And then I had a chance. Now, here's what's ironic about it. I never met him in South Africa because he was always in, uh, incarcerated. Uh, this time I couldn't because he had too many people around him. I met him in Miami when he came to speak. You know, and I took my gold record, which I bought a gold, got a gold record from there. And it was never played on national radio because of the contents of the record. And I took it off my wall, the gold record, and said, I'm going to present this to Dr. Mandela. But I couldn't get to him here either because he's people. I said, he said, you're sorry, Timmy. The greatest thing about all of that is I have a lot of gold records on my wall, and all of them are tinted with gold. The one that I got from South Africa takes two of us to hold it. That's how much gold it is. So in the event that I have a little rough times and everything, I'm going to Joe's Pond Shop and see if I can. I will be. It would be so much money, I'll have to take a wheelbarrow and bring it in because that's real gold on there, and I appreciate that, what they did. So that's one of the stories. I, want, I know it's a little long, but I want you to know that. That's amazing. It also made me think about Drake and Drake's version. Jimmy Fallon covered it. Who, who covered it? Jimmy Fallon did Bob Dylan doing Hotline Bling. You're kidding. I haven't heard that yet. I need to hear that. You can actually check it out on the internet. Okay, I'm going to do that. Jimmy Fallon? Jimmy Fallon doing Bob Dylan doing 
Uh, Hotline Bling. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that today, in fact, you know. That's great. Now, that's an honor. That's a major honor. Uh, if people would think about these things positively and not think about the fact that, uh, man, I don't want anyone doing my music and I, don't, and I don't like that type of music. No, no, that's not the reason. They are doing that music because that's what's in the realm of what's happening in the world today. To you know, the world today, and uh, I'm happy about that. I'm remembered more now than ever. They're called. They're bringing me back from 1973. A lot of these kids were not even blinking their eye in '73. Now, now they're saying, "Who's this Timmy Thomas?" I said, "My God." Then they meet me. Then they want to come out and see me. And then they hear me do "Why Came Together" and they hear the same rhythm. They say. That's how that's Drake's song. They said, no, it's not. That's Timmy Thomas' song. Drake did Timmy Thomas' song. They said, oh. So now maybe I'll get a bigger, younger crowd to, to listen now to some of the things that we're trying to say and, and maybe put them in process, hopefully. What would you, Timmy Thomas, like to say to Drake? Okay. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is I appreciate the fact that you used my first original track, no no cover, you never use any of that. And I also appreciate the fact that uh, I heard some of the comments where you said, well, the, 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 I think it was Productions 85, where they said, we used Timmy Thomas's version of that first one, and everybody in the room said, man, that's it, that's the one. Then they listened to a lot of other beats. So that, number two, that made me feel good to be able to talk to artists that were not even born that can relate to that type of feel from 1973. That's number two. Number three, I appreciate the fact that people love him so much. You have a whole country that in Canada that loves him. You know, I mean, he can't do any wrong. You know, and then you got all those people that are now listening again, which uh, was number one in Canada with 73. Now it's number one in Canada with Hotline Bling, which is not the uh, message but the music. So I just want to say to him from the bottom of my heart, thanks a million, Music Drake and you and the Music Crew. What do you have as a message for the other people that covered or sampled Hotline Bling, a la Dram and Super Mario Brothers? Any message for them? Well, yeah, it, it, well, it, it makes me feel good because it gives me an opportunity to, to be able to, to, to get my grandkids through college, which is, which is going to be wonderful, you know. And uh, uh, I saw some of the people that were doing it. Uh, even Justin Bieber did a, what's called of it, uh, What's the name is thinking about doing it? The one that does Hello, Adele. Yes. And uh, you got a lot of people out there. Every time I turn the internet on, someone else is doing it. Then the, then the, 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 the little uh, funny things from, from Saturday Night Live and all they even had the president doing it. You know, everybody was singing it. And then he was, they were talking about Drake's dancing. And I laughed. And, and my wife said, why are you laughing? I said, because look at Drake and think about me dancing in 73. She said, oh my God, you look just like him. So I didn't feel bad. Everybody said, well, Drake, you can't dance. I said, well, Timmy Thomas, when he did it, he couldn't dance either, you know? So, But uh, I, I, I really appreciate everybody doing it. Um, Sam uh, Smith and in, in Disclosure, they did a super copy of it. Um, Erica Bandu, which is, which is really going up the charts, her version of it. But what made me feel good about everybody's version, they used my original track. Never changed it, never changed the beat and everything. And uh, I'm very proud about that, you know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help me out in a lot of ways that uh, I never thought possible at this time of my life. And I'm, and I'm very happy about it. Timmy Thomas, what can you say about organ battles with James Brown? Well... 
a little funny story. I hate to, I hope we got time for this, but I was with James Brown back in 77, 78. And, uh, James and Henry Stone, who was head of TK at that time, same company had Case in the Sunshine Band, Rhett Nita Ward rang my bell, Betty Wright, you know, and uh, Clarence Reed, you know. And uh, he called and said, Henry, who do you have that, that's, anybody up close on the chart? He said, I got Timmy Thomas, number one. He said, that's your artist? He said, yeah. He said, send him to L.A. I want him to open my shows. Well, he had a lot of hits. I had just one. And he said, Sent him to uh, uh, California. So I was at the Felt Forum doing Walking Together in Front. So I hadn't met him yet. And his manager said, Timmy James wants to meet you. I go in this room and I see James sitting in this chair. It wasn't a king's throne or nothing, but it just looked like he was a little different from everybody else. And I had seen his picture too. So I said, Mr. Brown, he said, Timmy Thomas, how you doing, man? That's the way he talked. You know, he talked like he sang, you know. And uh, I said, it's an honor, Mr. Brown. You know, he said, I like your record, man. I may like want to do it with you on the stage. I said to him, I said, oh, my God, I hope he knows the versions and, and, and the rhythms and, and the chord structure, you know. And I had a big afro, and I'll forget, I had a nice big, this, we were wearing them that big years ago. And as I was leaving the room, he said, oh, by the way, Tim Thomas. I said, yes, sir. He said, get your hair cut. <laughs> I said, excuse me, <laughs> get your hair cut. In other words, where his was sitting, how beautiful, and James had a beautiful, we called him Papador during those days, you know. He said he didn't want, probably didn't want anyone else to look as good as he looked on their head when he came on stage. I was playing, everybody was into it. Then I heard this tweet, tweet. I said, that's an organ. I looked back, James was back there with his group playing organ with me, you know. So that, that was something that I would remember also, you know, because he knew the song. He must have been listening to it. So those, we, I've got some stories. I, I could write a book. Let's bring Tom up here right now. There is Tom. Tom from Overtown. What did it say about Tom? Yes. Oh, they're doing an excellent job. I, I saw his tribute last night, which was excellent for Blowfly. And tonight I'm going to do one of Clarence Reed. His Clarence alter ego was Blowfly. And, but... Most of the time that I knew him as Clarence Reed because he was writing a whole lot of those hits at, at uh, TK Production, you know? Timmy Thomas, Overtown Records. Maybe we can bring him on right now. Who is him? That's, that's Tom Bowker, president of Overtown Records. He and Jan Zavinsky uh, making all these things happen. Hello, Tom. Hello, Nardwar. Now, what can you say about Tom and... Timmy and Blow Fly. Well, I would say this. It is a shame that this is the record you brought because Mr. Timmy Thomas is actually the organist on the Blow Fly Zodiac album. The whole thing, as much as he would like to deny it, his name is on the record with Benny Lattimore and everybody else. But he's probably on this record, too, because because the way, the way Timmy likes to say it is that, uh, you know, he would get the rhythm tracks, and he didn't know what they were for, but, you know, Something tells me that 90-second versions of My Girl weren't on everyone's record. Just a guess. <laughs> so, Timmy, what can you say about the Blowfly-Timmy Thomas connection? Well, I think uh, uh, what Tom is really saying, because I never heard any of the uh, the lyrics. We, we did do the... Uh, uh, um, Rhythmental. Rhythm, yeah, the rhythm sections, you know. But I never did, uh, and, I, and I didn't know 
Blowfly that well. I knew Clarence Reed from the beginning up all through, you know, with the Betty Wright cleanup woman and all those things. And this came as an alter ego from Clarence as late on in his life. And he began to do that. Then I started hearing about it. And I said, wow. And it was getting bigger and bigger. And then Blowfly was getting bigger than Clarence Reed's name. That's the way it was happening out there, you know. So uh, that's that. That was the history behind the blowfly. What I knew about it, of course, I heard some of the lyrics later, and I and I just didn't appreciate the lyrics too much. But I, then I listened to him, and I listened to the uh, the parody he had on some of the hit songs, which helped those artists. By the way, him doing we doing tracks for some of those hit artists. So either way. It was going fine because you had an audience out there for Blowfly, a, a particular audience, and it was easy for him to come in and do some of those things. It was easy for those artists who had written some of those songs get some of their BMI or uh, ASCAP or uh, EMI royalties, you know? Well, one thing I can tell you is... Oh, actually, I was going to say, what Blowfly records did you play on, Timmy? Zodiac. He was on the whole Zodiac LP. And which one was something? Luther, with Luther Ingram, you played. No, he was yeah, wrong. He was wrong. Yeah, I, I remember playing all yeah, those, yeah, that, but I that, never that, heard that, the lyrics. The song title was <laughs> the record. That was, if eating you is wrong, I don't want to be right. I didn't, I never heard those lyrics when we did it. I said, I wonder what artist is doing if loving you is wrong. And then I later on, this, when I hear night, this. Last night at the Blowfly tribute, Timmy was there. Yeah. And then I will give you the G-rated version of what he told me. He's like, you guys are next. Nasty, but I loved it. They were, really, they were really good. The rhythm tracks were good. The the things that Blowfly had done on the Zodiac and this album here, the people were loving it. I said, wow. I said, look at this. They were really, really out of their seats, you know? So I said, they, this this is great. And this respect to, I'm, he's saying Blowfly, which is the alter ego of Clarence Reed. We did do both last night. We, we did about 25 minutes of Clarence Reed material. Yeah, yeah, he did. And then went straight to the Blowfly, you know? Then we, I figured the line was going to divide. And some people were, well, I'm getting out of here now. The line got bigger. Well, we actually, well, we actually, we, we actually split it with one person. Our, it was our, our guitar player for the Overtown Soul Review, which is my band that backs up Timmy. Um, he is an insanely religious young man. Uh, not insanely that is that it's a bad thing. I'm, I mean to say intensely. He's a very intense. He preaches. He's 23. I don't mean sorry, Reggie. The point, the, the point is, you know, Reggie is a R- Reggie. Uh, met Clarence when he was 11 years old. We were at the Fort Lauderdale Blues Festival. I used to be good friends with Solomon Burke. I brought Clarence with me. That was the first appearance Clarence ever made anywhere with me in 2003. And then uh, a little 11-year-old kid who was Reggie Sears, our current guitar player, gets on stage and he does the Johnny Lang thing. And he's just, you know, wailing away. And he gets off stage and Clarence walks right up to him and says... You play great for a little girl because he had long hair and you know he had those little you know little 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 man boobs going on. I was like, oh man, that's so terrible. <laughs> but and then for years he would come with me on Facebook. Hey man, Clarence said, oh, you always wanted to work with me. I'm like, who is this kid? And then finally on Facebook, I saw that picture. I'm like, that's who that is. And he went on tour with us two months later. Blowfly, rest in peace. You played his funeral. Yes, I did. Um, what you know? I, it was it was if some instances, <clears throat> excuse me, it was some instances where I thought about what could I do? Could I do a Clarence Reed song, or could I do what Clarence Reed said to me in '73, right in the hallway? I'll never forget it. He said, "Timmy, I said, hey, man, 
you're saying something that nobody else has said. You're, 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 and I know they had because I heard the Beatles, uh, let's give love a, a chance or let's give peace a chance. Uh, he said, but you're the first black person I've heard say that, where the turmoil is happening right after the civil rights movement. And he walked around and shook my hand and said, I sure appreciate that, man. He said, I don't know how well it's going to do now. He said that too. He said, because this is in a, a time where the whole world is in a turmoil and, and nobody wants to hear no songs like that. You know, and he said, but I appreciate the fact, man, that I like your, I like your song. And when he said that, that's what reverted back to me when the funeral was going. I said, you know, I want to do this in honor of a great man. I want to do Why Can't We Live Together. And I stood right up in front of the audience and I sang that. I said, this is for you, Clarence. And I, even though he couldn't hear me, but I know the people out there could in their hearts bounce in their hearts back to Clarence, which is good. And Blowfly used to phone you up? Uh, on telephone? Oh, yeah, all the time. I, I, would, I would talk to him all the time, you know. Uh, uh, we were very good friends. Um, like I said, I knew him as Clarence Reed. He used to leave some nice messages on the phone that when my wife would come, I would delete them before she listened to him, you know. But uh, he was a, he was the kind of guy that you just, no matter what he said, the smile had to come on your face, man, because that's what you were going to hear each time he called you, that same message. This is Blowfly, the baddest in the world. Give me a call. Next time, ring, ring. This is Blowfly, the baddest in the world. Give me a call. Next one, ring. One time he called, and well, I saw my wife pushing for the message. I said, I said oh, God. She said, what? What did he say? I said, that wasn't him. That's somebody that's playing on the phone. I don't know who that was. You know, I had to say that. That's, that's a class. Next time you call, man, don't do that. I just say, Timmy, call me. You know. And, but he he was the kind of guy that kept a smile on your face. Every, everything he did, he did it with a smile. You know. As I mentioned, Tom, rest in peace, Blowfly. But Slug really stepped up. Yes, he did. And more, I, would, I want to get this to back to Canada, Nardwar, because the last Blowfly tour that existed was when you saw us. And on October 30th at the Fox Cabaret, that was the final Blowfly sold-out show. And we had sold out that same room one year earlier with two live crew and Dirty Brown Camaro. And then we came back and sold it out with the Motown Party. Vancouver Canada stepped up for Blowfly like no other town in the world. Honestly, the only other one that even came close was your sister city, Toronto. Three Blowfly shows, three sold-out shows. So Canada and Blowfly, even though they don't want to let my band in the country, and I had to actually hire another band to play that, and the baritone guitar player could not change his own strings, and uh, a Russian uh, studio guy had to walk on stage and change the strings in front of 450 people. <laughs> that show was magical. Vancouver has always been magical for Blowfly from the first day where we barely got in because our then bassist lied to the CBP and said he had never been arrested and he had four DUIs. $200 later, we saw you, the first Nardwar with Blowfly that began the whole Snoop Dogg thing, which finally ended in a, in a knockout Twitter battle where, um, well, sorry, Snoop, but uh, I knocked you out. 
He did love you, and he sampled you as well. He sampled Bullfly. Like, who sampled Bullfly? Who? So many people have sampled Blowfly. In fact, I found out more later. I must say, though, Tom, regarding Blowfly, Slug, he did step he up. He stepped up one. Well, first of all, he never not stepped up. He is on Fahrenheit 69. The way I met him was when I was a journalist, and I asked him a few questions that most journalists are not going to ask an artist. And he said, what's your deal? I said, I'm making a Blowfly record. This is in 2004. He's like, yeah, I think I want to be on it. I said, well, that can be arranged. So he came down on the Warp Tour. I picked him up, and we would have been on Rhyme Sayers Entertainment, but no, Clarence had to go on a family emergency to West Palm Beach because that's what Clarence Reed, who I love, did. He would do this, Nardwar. He would aim at his feet and go, ba-bow. So he shot himself. But that's okay because then we became your label mate at Alternative Tentacles instead. But, he's, but he stepped up there. And then when the house thing, he threw down 500 bucks there. And the donation stopped to nothing. Slug went $1,000, ba-dow. And we raised the rest of the money in about eight hours. And we buried our man. And Timmy sang, and Betty Wright sang 13 minutes. And my band, the Overtown Soul Review, sang with Jalen Ballard five songs. That was not a funeral. It was a celebration. It was a homecoming. And everything that you would ever want in a funeral, and one thing that you would never want at a funeral, all happened at the same time. You had Clarence Reed and Blowfly. You had drama. You had everything the man was about in a two-hour ceremony. And, you know, you had Timmy's daughter get stuck at the fanciest mall in town, and he had to go rescue her. <laughs> Timmy, what? The, great, the greatest thing is that, uh, well, Tom knows specifics about a lot of things, so he stayed with him for 11, 12 years. I like to just remember the good times, the good memories I had of Clarence uh, Alter Ego Blowfly. Uh, they go way, way back. And uh, um, I don't know the, the, the specifics, and I don't know sometime, and, I, and Tom could vouch for that. I'm sure there were ups and downs. I'm uh, Quite a lot oh, of them. I know that, you know. Timmy Thomas, what exactly are you doing now? How does Overtown Records play into things? Well, when this Drake situation happened, uh, before I answer that, uh, Nord, are you from Canada? From Vancouver, B.C. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for Drake and thank you for you. <laughs> for me from Canada because I got other great memories from Canada when I had 1973 when I did the Colonial in Toronto. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Has, I know it's not open anymore. The club. The Colonial Club, yes. It might have been closing after that, I don't know, but I stayed there for a week, you know. Super, super fans. Well, anyway, uh, in relation to what you were just asking about this, uh, this record here, one of the records off of my first album, the one that you had, was called Opportunity. And uh, this all came about from Drake. And I'm not going to fuss around with that. If it were not for Drake and the things that he had done with Hotline Bling, you wouldn't hear Timmy Thomas anymore coming back. I had, I had, I had, well, I know, but I had gotten into the, the rim. I had been teaching school. I'd been uh, teaching in higher education. I had the Timmy's Lounge. I was doing where I could pay, pay the bills. I could make sure my grandkids went to college and things like that. Barely after I do all of that, but still I was in there no matter what. You know, played for the churches, ministered music, still made a little piece of change there, put that on there and put that on the plane of bills. But the major thing was, it was the hotline bling. And when I heard about it and, 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 and listened to it, I said, wow, that's my 
thing. He said, no, it's, it's your sound. Tommy said, it's a sample, but it's a sample of your original song. Nobody sampled a cover. They didn't do a cover. They did a sample. So, Tom, yeah. Overtown Records, Opportunity. Over, Overtown Records is a label dedicated to the spirit of Clarence Reed. Clarence Reed lived in Overtown, and what most people don't know if you're not from South Florida is Overtown was the Harlem Renaissance of the South. You had all these entertainers who would come and play Miami Beach, but Miami was not always the world city it is today. It was a redneck, cracker, nasty town politically, and folks like Timmy were not allowed on the Miami Beach after dark. You had to have a working permit. And if you didn't have that, that was your ass. So there was, so the, and then the entertainers, such as, say, James Brown, wouldn't, they could go play the Jackie Gleason Theater, but they had to be off. They couldn't stay there. And they would stay at a place called the Sir John Hotel. And they had a club called the Night Beat. And there was many clubs like that. And Timmy came up in those clubs. And Clarence was those clubs because every talent, Sam and Dave, he he would meet people like that at those clubs and he would write their songs because Clarence is I mean he basically was music he could look at anything and write a song about it he would compose on the street I can say even in my limited potential with him after the age of 65 sometimes he would just a song would just come out of him a whole song verse chorus verse key changes the whole bit and it'd be like where's my recorder where's my recorder that song ugly people on Fahrenheit 69 that came out of him in half an hour and straight almost and only the only reason it took a half an hour is because the damn tape thing jammed and we had to replace the tape and go sing it again but um i can tell you that you know it's in, in honor of overtown which you know used to be a very prosperous area and then the powers that be ran i-95 highway through it and destroyed the community so now there is a a complete charge to restore the area the lyric theater has been restored there's a whole historical society around it and um in fact it's been restored and, yes and more importantly the winwood neighborhood which is adjacent to overtown just is bleeding into overtown so the fact is arts are there moving there so that is the overtown aspect of it what i can tell you is playing music with timmy has been an opportunity because on the why can't we live together record those songs are wonderful but they're basically all meditations so i I was able with my band, the Overtown Soul Review, Reggie Sears and Billy Morales and Christy Angelis, we played that one day and we're like, wait a minute, this is like a John Lee Hooker blues stomp. And so now, instead of him meditating about why he wants an opportunity, now he wants his opportunity. <laughs> See, I was doing it as a one-man band then. Now I get these guys behind me, I said, wow, man, this sounds like it, it, it can be heard by more people because as being a one-man band right now wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be as, as popular as the Drake situation or anybody else that's doing, a, that's doing a whole complete rhythmic thing behind it. And that's what they did. They put that behind it, and I thought it was great. And, and we did this old school, though. This was recorded, mixed, mastered seven days and that included the engineer having a complete Colonel Kurtz meltdown and me arguing with him for two days so it would have been five it's amazing the whole the, the whole story is amazing we were we were really in in close proximity of a creative genius I mean, there are very few you see out there you can say that, you know. Uh, I can say Stevie Wonder or uh, uh, James Brown uh, or Ray Charles and then Clarence Reed. 
Blowfly. He was a yes, and Clarence Reed, alter ego Blowfly, aka Blowfly, and and. I was proud of that, and that's what, and I didn't know that was why why he was doing it. Or in fact, I was just heard that on the air about you were doing it in tribute to the uh, Overtown Records in tribute to Clarence Street. I think that's wonderful, and I am very happy to be a part of it. And I will keep on pushing to, l- to let people know that Clarence was really the soul behind a lot of that TK production stuff. Anything you'd like to say lastly? There is, well, I'm going to do it second to lastly, Nardwar, because we've known each other a long time, and you know I'm a verbose person, but I'm also very entertaining, so you'll get the best of both worlds. I'd like you to go to OvertownRecords.com. I'd like you to go to our Facebook page, Facebook Overtown Records. I'd like you to go to our Facebook page, Timmy Thomas, which is the artist page, not his page. Please, weirdos, leave Timmy alone, unless you're a nice person, and then you can talk to him. Uh, I would like you, in general, to watch out for what's coming out of here and most importantly we're in Austin, Texas and our US label partner is Sauce Tex Records which is Jeff Smith of the Hickoids. He has uh, loved the music of Miami for a long time. He is the Austin music scene to the point where he picked up a, he picked up an award for his late guitar player Davy Jones last night at the Austin Music Awards before coming to our show. He first booked Blowfly in 2005. So we recorded um, a record that you will cut to later which is 77 Rusty Trombones. It is easily the best record Blowfly made and Clarence Reed made for that matter since 1982 or so because it was a labor of love. These were songs he sang to us in the van for 10 years and for whatever reason I didn't want to record them but they just got better over time and then we would sing him back and it was a natural organic process and that is why the record is wonderful even though at the time he had two kinds of cancer. He had Alzheimer's. He had a 15 year old stroke that was not diagnosed. He had kidney failure and he still sold out the Fox Cabaret, did not cut the set short, did not give one bad performance in his entire career. That, my friends, is a real person. I don't care how dirty he was. I don't care how clean he was. That is a professional. And also, I'd like to say this, that a lot of the reason Blowfly became Blowfly was because there were certain elements in the TK thing that were like the Wild West. Now, not giving Timmy's skeletons away. He didn't have them. He was the nice guy. The skeletons were next to him in the closet. But people got shot there. People got beat up there. Horrible things happened there. And a lot of the things that would happen is Clarence would get stepped on because he is such a sweet guy at heart. So he built this blowfly character in order to deal with the pain. And most great comedy is built out of pain. And in 2012, which is one of the times I met Timmy, he doesn't remember meeting me there, but it happened. Uh, there was a benefit for Gwen McRae in West Palm Beach, Florida. Yes. And this made it all crystal clear to me. So we were just about to actually do, Timmy doesn't know this either, we were going to do a Clarence Reed Gwen McRae tour in all of continental Europe. The papers had been signed and then she had a stroke on stage in in, in the UK and I had made the phone call because it was good karma. We were supposed to tour with her. She fell ill. I wanted to raise money for, so she'd get well and if you looked at everyone who was on it, we were the only touring act and, and it was on a Monday and that's a hard sell in South Florida. Timmy can tell you Mondays are a rough thing. So they put our name on it, and I made the phone call. I'm like, okay, what time do you want us to be? They're like, oh, we had you as tentative. And I'm like, you know what? My name's not Sly Stone. 
I don't do freebase. We show up where we're listed. That's what we do. So they're like, okay, well, 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 fine. So we get there, and then it's just like a really poorly organized talent show for people with gold and platinum records. And they just keep bumping us and bumping us and bumping us, and then they tell me we're off. And I'm like, straight up, dude. No Clarence Reed, no Gwen McRae, no Rocking Chair. That was a number one song he wrote for Gwen. Don't be ridiculous. We're going to play your show. He's like, all right, you can play after this guy. And so this wannabe Keith Sweat does like 15 minutes sound check, 15 minute song, and then he goes, and now my next song, and Clarence, steam, coming out of Clarence's head, out of his head, and we were only going to do Clarence Reed material. And steam, and I, and I can't have him do this because he had the worst temper of anyone who's ever lived. So I did the only thing I could do to placate him. I said, all right. We'll play a blowfly song and then the biggest smile came on his face and so we did funky party and then we did fuck the boss and we got yanked 75 seconds in and that was the most punk rock thing i ever did in my life half the crowd was laughing and rolling and titillated half the crowd was horrified i was like i get it this is why blowfly exists it may have taken me seven years with him no eight years with him nine years with him to figure it out but that's what it is. It's people who are being rude to him when he's trying to be nice to them. And that's how he deals with the world. That's why you have Blowfly in 27 records. And Timmy, your label guy, Tom, is incredible. He has opinions. Yes, he is. You can, you can bleep out the, the F part, you know, <laughs> and, and remember the good memories. Because I'll always, oh, see, I like, I said, he's, like I said, he has specifics of a lot of things. And I'm, and I'm learning a lot about what, what he had gone through all those years and the good, the up and the downs. But as an artist inside, I like to remember the good times that we had uh, because, uh, he had enough bad times, you know, and I know with some of the things Tom has mentioned he has gone through, he needed some good times. So that's what I'm going to try to remember. You know, and Overtown Records is bringing that back. And I like that tribute to Clarence when you said that, and that, and that makes me want to work harder to make it successful, and I'm going to do that. So lastly, Tom, tell me about Overtown Records. We have the people who made the records in the first place. We have people who uh, wrote records for the first place, including Blowfly's protege, Mike Cliet, who is a songwriting for us just in the old days. We have artists such as Mark Lockett, who you may recall from the Weird World of Blowfly movie and Fahrenheit 69 and 77 Rusty Trombones. You may recall several people when you look at our roster at OvertownRecords.com or at Facebook Overtown Records. The bottom line is it's the real deal miami sound is miami is the soul music of the united states and it's been sampled so much by hip-hop you cannot deny it you know what sure you have your motor city sure you have your p-funk but we are part of the equation and more records were sold from miami sorry a fact well thank you very much tom thank you for bringing timmy thomas and do to do 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 well, thank you, Timmy Thomas. I do want to go back to their early days, Philip and the Faithfuls and Dixie and C. <laughs> wow, my goodness. I was in college then uh, at Lane University in Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, my wife, I'll never forget that. You know, we were, we were dating then. Uh, we've been married 50 years now, so we just had our 50th anniversary, you know. We really doing it. Yes. Um, and Philip was one of the local guys that played, heard about me at this university and said, this guy plays well. So I started playing with Philip Reynolds and the Faithfuls. 
and we played everywhere. We, in fact, we had our first record on, on Gold Wax label out of Memphis, Tennessee, because uh, we were living, Jackson is no more about 80 miles from Memphis, you know? And uh, um, I could easily go from there over to Memphis in an hour and a half back. I played in Memphis. I had the opportunity to meet Booker T and MGs, Isaac Hayes, uh, the guy that did Knock on Wood. I forget Floyd. His last name was Floyd. Sam and Dave. So it's a really good history here. And 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 I want to say that uh, uh, he started. At this it, it all started for me with Philip Reynolds and the Faithful. He's gone now, but uh, I owe a lot to my uh, being from Philip Reynolds and the Faithfuls. Dixie and C. Oh, that's a story. Oh, I know you're talking about with the Marquise then. Uh, we were in, I'll never forget it, and we were in Mississippi. And this was during the turmoil days when James Meredith was the first person African-American to go to the University of Mississippi. And one of the fraternities asked the Marquise to come down. So they picked up the phone, Wayne Jackson, Timmy, uh, the uh, organ player can't make it. Can you make this one with us? I said, okay. So we were driving, and when we got to the city limits, we almost had a, another policeman to escort us to the building. I said, I said to myself, I said, oh, my God, because I was the only African-American in the band. I played sitting in the front, and I saw this guy with what we call a Texas fifth. I'm sure you all know what that is. It's a real big thing of, of, of whiskey that you can't hold. You put it in a little thing, and you push it over like that and pour it. That's, they call it a Texas fifth. And I kept seeing him drink it. So every time he would drink it, he'd come to the front and say, hey, you're part of the band. Do y'all know Dixie? So Wayne Jackson said, no, we don't. We know the national anthem, you know. So he went back and sat down. He got poured him another drink. He came back. Said, y'all know Dixie? Andrew Love, the saxophone. said, man, didn't Wayne just tell you that we don't know anything about no Dixie? We don't know that song. We know the Star Spangled Banner. He wanted us to play that, which meant included everybody in America. The last time he came up, no, I, I never forget it. He came up and said, you all know Dixie? <laughs> I said, no. He said, see that sign up there? We turned around and looked. There was a big old hole in one of those Bush Bavarian signs, a beer sign. He said, the last band that did not know Dixie, I shot at him, but I missed, but I hit that sign up there. No, I turned around and looked at Wayne Jackson. Dixie NC. Dun, 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 dun. We started playing. We must, we must have played it for 10 minutes, you know? But Wayne Jackson said, man, I said, don't stop. And then the man shook his head like I said, because I didn't know what he had up on that table. Was he going to shoot at us or not? You know, I said, you did what? I said, I shot at him. I said, well, okay. Dixie NC. And we started playing. Doo, 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 you know, so, but so that was a funny story during that time. A little scarier during that time, but now when I look back on it, it was funny. Timmy Thomas, did you meet Drake's uncle, Willie Mitchell, at all? Yes, a long time ago. Uh, Willie Mitchell had a, a studio not too far from where I used to play. And that's when he had Al Green. This, these were the early days. Al Green had a, quite a lot of other people. And, and by the way, I didn't know that. He's Drake's what? Uncle. I did not know that. In fact, I don't even think my wife, my wife's from Memphis, and, and she talks all the time with her f family. She never told me that, Tim, you know, Willie Mitchell was Drake's uncle. And I knew Willie, and I knew how well he's uh, produced some of those great records out of there, you know? And uh, that's wonderful. He's, you know, I'm not saying that uh, it's something new to me, but I can see now where he got his talent and all that stuff because Willie Mitchell was phenomenal, you know? That's wonderful. 
And you also saw Sam and Dave and Al Jackson Jr. in action? Oh, yes. Al Jackson Jr., uh, it went to drummer for Booker T and the MGs. Yes, we used to play at a place called Sunbeams a long time ago, and he would he would perform there. I'd got a chance to perform perform there a couple of times. And uh, who's the other person? Sam and Dave. Oh yes, I used to when I got to 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 Miami, and played on what you call the double deck around bar. Uh, Dave, uh, rest his soul now he's gone. Used to come up and sing with me the other portion, and they were also out of Memphis. And Timmy, you didn't have a record till Have Some Boogaloo, 1967? Well, no, uh, uh, Philip Reynolds and the Faithfuls was the first one we had, Rhythm of Rhythm of Re, which did, didn't do that well. But when I left there uh, and went to uh, Memphis, well, well, no, this was prior. I, I'm looking back, thinking about it. This was prior, and it was a record called Have Some Boogaloo, and it did well regionally, you know, because I didn't have no national uh, uh, record company. And it went well. Uh, regional, and that's what started me. Where people saw them, but when I left Lane University, I came back and headed to Federal Projects. Then I went from there to Texas, uh, in Tyler, where I was with Jarvis Christian College, and from there, uh, the president of Florida Memorial College, right here. I'm not here. I've been thinking I'm in Miami, uh, in Miami, Florida. Said, would you please come and help us with some of our foundations and buildings, and and call me. And I know that was the stopping ground of the Miami Sound in. So I wanted to play anyway, you know. Uh, so that's where I got there around 69, and I've been there ever since with the TK sound. Anytime there was unrest in any part of the world, they would call me. They said, man, we need you to come here and stand in front of the public and say, why can't we all live together? You notice, Nord, I didn't use it as a statement, not a declaration uh, sent us. I use it as a question. Everybody has an answer. Everybody. I could line up 10 people right here and say, What's your verse? Why do you think we can't live together? They'll tell you something. Then the next one will tell you. We need to stop this. We need to go in the community and do this. We need to, and I, and that's the reason. And it, what it started doing is it started getting some 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 discussion out there. And that's that's the reason that song was so big. I believe you know, even in the in the area where it was not uh, popular to have those type of songs. Timmy Thomas, was disco invented in Miami? I think so, yes. Uh, uh, I might get some critics on that, but I do believe that we started disco because we had KC and the Sunshine Band, who had so many disco. Uh, even with My Why Came No Together was considered disco because it was from TK Productions. Uh, Rock Your Baby, George McCray, Ring My Bell, Nita Ward, all of those were from TK. And uh, we were doing well, but what happened was some guy from, from Chicago had all the people to come out and bring their disco records at Wrigley Field or some baseball field and break them up. And that was the end of disco, you know. So we had to close after that because we didn't have any other means of staying open because we were the disco capital of the you world. You were really affected by that. Oh, yes, we were. All of us were affected. You know, I, now, I wasn't as much as a lot of the others were because the music that I had was considered more world than disco. In other words, uh, I could sing my song no matter what the uh, uh, event was. And it was a song about uh, being positive and a song about something that all of us could, we need to hear, all of us need to hear those things, you know. So I did pretty good after that. And winding up here, Timmy Thomas, you marched with Martin Luther King? Oh yes, that, uh, that was in 1962, my wife and I. And uh, we were integrating the Woolworth stores in Jackson. I'll never forget this. and. 
we were going with each other. You know, we would wink. We'd have our placards, and we would be walking by in segregation. And as we would pass by each other, we would kind of wink, you know, and she'd wink at me and everything. Well, a carload of young guys come up, hit the side of the cars, and said, and use all those uh, uh, derogatory words. And one guy got out, and he came up to my girlfriend then and spat on her. So quite naturally, you know that I was very angry. You can see red in my eyes. I dropped my placard. I said, you're not going to get away with that. Now remember, Dr. King stood for nonviolence. That's the reason it was so big, because it was almost like a turning the other cheek during that time. And maybe people was trying to say, listen, we've got to stop this. We're beating up on people, and they're trying to live with us, and it's like that. So I pulled my sleeves up and got ready to put my arms up, and my wife come up and said, no. I said, what? She said, I can always wash this blouse. Don't do that, because if you do, you're hurting the whole movement. Once you swing, Dr. King means nothing to the world anymore, because he told the world it was nonviolent, and here you are out here swinging on somebody and fighting. So don't do it for the movement. You're not as big as the movement. And I remember that. I said, wow. And that stayed with me all that time, you know? So, but we had uh, one time, some rough times, uh, but we, we stood out there and we fought. Now, aside from Drake, Hotline Bling, the shoeless wonder, Joss Stone. Oh, yes. Went in this, I don't know how we got hooked up. Betty Wright hooked that up for all of us. But we were in the studio with Joss. You know, she's from London. And she was standing there with no shoes on. In fact, she did all her performances without shoes on. And we were wondering what was happening there. She was 15 years old. They were having a birthday cake, bro. And I said, what's this for? They said, for her, that's her birthday. I said, well, how old is she? She's 15. I said, 15, with a great voice like that and everything? I thought she was going to be one of those rappers and doing this and that. And she built it out a uh, Rita Franklin type song. I said, whoa. So she was doing well. Her first one was, was with uh, the Miami Soul Stars, they call them, with me, Betty, Lattimore, Little Beaver, all of us who had come out of TK Productions. And I thought the greatest thing in the world was for her to be given a chance to be out there with all these greats. And she's done an excellent job. In fact, I think she has her own record company now, I believe. Timmy Thomas, anything you'd like to add to the people out there? Well, that's just one thing. That uh, There comes a time in your life, if you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, just like Michael said, that I'm looking at the man in the mirror, that's where the things are going to change. Uh, when I even do opportunity, you know, I say to myself, you know, it, uh, uh, the wings have changed. All of my life, I never could see that the wings of change are going to have to start with me. And that's what I want to tell the world. Love your neighbors. Hug your children. Let them know. Don't, you know, be, be, be the person that raises them. Don't let them raise you. Make sure that they understand the right way. And the right way is for all of us to live together. Well, thanks very much, Timmy Thomas. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 dum dum.
You're listening still to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we just heard right there Timmy Thomas with the original of Why Can We Live Together from 1972 on TK Records as sampled by Drake. And before that, an interview with Timmy Thomas. Right now to end the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, something brand new by... Timmy Thomas. We're going to hear Turn Back the Hands of Time from 2016 by Timmy Thomas. And then we are going to hear Sade with Why Can't We Live Together by Timmy Thomas on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. (laughs) 
if I had the chance, I would start all over. I would be wishing today on a four-leaf clover, and leaving you would be the last thing on my mind. Oh, if I could turn back the The pain is so deep And the hurt is getting stronger But if I had just one more try I would be yours to the day I die And we would have a love so divine Or oh, if I could turn back the hands of time Divine. If I could turn back the hand of time. 